What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Mike to New Haven podcast with sports personality Mike Cologne. Here's your host, Mike Cologne. Listening to the best of the bravest interviews with the FDNY's elite. Take one of this episode, never happened. Never happened. Scrub it from your mind. I don't know what you're talking about. I, I didn't do a show last Friday, as far as yeah, I'm concerned. It's, it's, all, it's all right at my age. I've got, you know, I probably got dementia <laughs> anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to this take two. It's volume 28 of the Best of Bravest interviews with the FDNY's Elite. If you didn't catch last night's show, that was volume 28 of another miniseries. That's Tales from the Boom Room. Profiles of the NYPD's arson explosion and bomb squad with retired NYPD bomb squad detective Kevin Barry, who was also a volley out in Wontaw for many, many years. Kevin, of course, former emergency service cop, too. But he joined the show to talk about the 1996 crash of TWA Flight 800. So it was an interesting uh, delve into that incident from his perspective. The bomb squad worked that case heavily. And uh, as you can see, with Kevin and a lot of the members of the bomb squad, 26 years later, that crash still bothers them. And it's easy to see why. So check that episode out if you haven't already. So now for this take two, we'll do the introduction again. If you missed it, well, then this is your take one. And that's uh, my next guest who enjoyed the Bronx Bend. You've heard that term on getting salty. Crooklyn a.k.a. Brooklyn, and was also Queens Marine to match, although they do a lot of work out in Queens, as we'll discuss tonight. 27 years in the FDNY, and he was an engine man primarily for most of those years, particularly in the Bronx, and that would serve him well for the Special Operations Command. He's a charter member of SOC when it was formed in the summer of 1998, originally a member of Brooklyn Squad 252, responding to the many unique emergencies, both within the immediate district of 252 and, of course, citywide as a SOC company. And after seven years there, he'd spend another seven years in, in another great company, Queens's Rescue 4, where he finished out as a lieutenant there. He was a lieutenant in 252 as well, but also did some time as a lieutenant in Rescue 4, as we'll discuss tonight. Finished out 2012, like I said, and that for this take two, volume 28, a new of the best of the bravest interviews with the FDNY's elite, Mr. Cheese Man himself, Bob Giussano. Bob, welcome back. Oh, thank you, Mike. Thank you. Good, good to be here for the uh, the second roll of the dice with this one. Yeah, and so far, so good. No echo, no feedback, nothing. So we're doing good. I think I think switching the devices like we worked on off the air is going to help us tonight. So I do remember you telling me, and if I'm wrong, then correct me, please do. I think you grew up in Oceanside when I asked you where you grew up originally. Right. 
Okay. Childhood yeah. in Oceanside. Right. Yeah, my whole life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Up until uh, I went into the Navy. Mm. So for 18, yeah, we were there for, I was there for 15 years. And in the Navy, I imagine, you know, we were talking about the camaraderie in the Navy is very similar to the camaraderie in the firehouse. And going through that process, you were an older probia. I remember you telling me that that had to be basically compared the fire academy compared to that. That was a walk in the park for you. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, I, other guys have said this before. If you worked a real job before you got onto the fire department, yeah, all you got to do is show up, do your job and, uh, you know, and, and and everything goes goes fine. You know, um, a lot of guys are twenty one when they come on. You know, they're retiring when they're forty two. You know, I was thirty two when I got on, and I retired in my fifty fifty nine. Yeah, yeah, it was a uh, it was a good run though. No complaints. Yeah, no, yeah, we'll discuss the bait. I would do it over again in a second, except my hips will be killing me. <laughs> Yeah, I would do it all, all over again. I think back then the proby limit age, they changed it since then, but it used to be able to get on the job as late as 40. Is that, is that correct? When I uh, when I came on, uh, the age limit was you had to be before your 29th birthday, I believe, uh, to take the test. Now, if, if you didn't get called for six years, uh, you'd be like 35. That's all fair, you know, but you could be past 29 to take the test. And there's a lot of guys that that happened to, or, you know, they were in the military or, or whatever. They took the test when they were in the military and then they got on, they're almost 40. A, a good friend of mine's uh, brother, um, that's, that's what happened with him. He was in the military and uh, he was close to 40 when he got on the job. Uh, shout out to our friends tonight watching the chat. Appreciate you guys being here again. Of course, if you have, if you have a question for Lieutenant Tuchano, please fire away. So tell me about your background in the martial arts. Of course, you're active in jujitsu. Uh, you're active in boxing and wrestling. When did that start for you? Uh, I started wrestling when I was 12 years old. And I, you know, in high school, um, wasn't a very good ball player. Um, I mean, I could play, I could play football because I was, I was kind of big at that time, uh, but I couldn't catch, couldn't, couldn't throw, uh, not good hand-eye coordination, even though I played lacrosse, uh, but I, I was a goon when I played lacrosse. Yeah. Uh, I was, I was a defenseman. And, uh, so it's just something I was really good at, you know, really good with my hands. Uh, so, and then when I went to the service, uh, they, they catch you right, right in boot camp. All right. Who wants to fight on Saturday? And uh, so everybody else is going to peel potatoes and, and speak the uh, the grinder. And you're at the gym getting ready for a fight on Saturday. So it was, uh, yeah, that was my first taste of boxing. You know, uh, my father was a boxer, but he, he never really wanted me to follow up uh, with that. You know, um, then when I got out of the service, I boxed in the Golden Gloves. Uh, did, did, did all right. You know, I broke my hand and uh, that ended my career. And uh, my father was dead. So, you know, he, he's seen what happened with guys that stayed in the game too long. You know, they got they would get uh, pugilistic uh, dementia and all that crap. And he didn't want me walking on my heels. And then uh, jujitsu, I had a captain, uh, Ronnie Spadafora, in uh, Lotto One Hundred and Fifty, was a black belt in jujitsu. And uh, 
we would, you know, he started me on that road with it. And uh, that was like a, like a Japanese style uh, jujitsu. And then uh, one, and then, you know, life gets in the way. You got to raise a family. It's kind of tough to spend money on that kind of stuff. Uh, then when I retired, I, uh, I started doing Brazilian jujitsu. And so I've been doing that ever since. Yeah. It's great. I love it. You know, it's, uh, I like the challenge. Yeah. I like the struggle. Yeah. Of course. Of course, this is volume 28 of the Best of Bravest interviews with the FTNY's elite. Tonight's guest is retired sock veteran, 27-year veteran, uh, Bob Chisano. He spent time in many different companies, as we'll discuss tonight, most notably Squad 252 as an original member and Rescue 4. The common theme with that, as we were talking about off-the-air wrestling, boxing, jujitsu, is discipline. And I imagine that discipline really helped you in your career throughout the fire service. Oh, without a doubt. You know, um, uh, in any company that, you, that you're working in, you have to train. You know, um, sometimes the training gets, if you're going to a lot of fires, you're, you're learning while you're doing it. Um, and when I was, when I first came on in the Bronx, there was still plenty of work to go around. Uh, so, but even like, you know, engine training, be the best engine man you can be. If you're if you're working in the truck, be the best trucking you can be. If you're working in a squad of rescue, just be the best squad of rescue fireman that you can be. And that's just a matter of training, you know. And there's guys that train more than I do, guys that train less than I do. Uh, but it's the quality of training that goes with it, you know. And that that kind of uh, after after nine eleven, there was a you know, a, a real lack of uh, instructors. So I had an opportunity to, uh, to teach at the, uh, the rescue school. And uh, that was a really, really, really good experience because I find that teaching helps you learn, you know, you know because you're going through everything um, all over again in your head and you don't want to give you know, the, the people in your classroom the bad information. So it, it forces you to learn the base material better. Of course. And that combined with the experience that you naturally get over time, if you pay attention to those experiences, which you did well in any job, which it maybe didn't do so well, ultimately leads you to become not necessarily, I don't want to go as far as say as a master instructor, but a very, very good one and one that people can trust. Yeah. I, I, I you know, I, the guys that I worked with at the school, I had, um, you know, I, I worked lead on, on, on a few of the programs, the trench and the rest at, the rescue collapse and uh, the guys that that would work with me were just as good or better than I was and you just bring a di different uh, perspective into it and uh, so you think you're teaching a class and you're listening to the other instructor while it's his time and you're learning something new every day mm. you know I, I, you know in a way I was lucky I, I wasn't a very uh, big uh, student when I was in high school as a matter of fact I was a terrible student uh, which is the reason why I went into the Navy at 18 years old, because uh, I didn't see another path, you know. And if right. I stayed where I was, I was going to, you know, <clears throat> either be dead or in jail, you know. So uh, that decision was pretty much made up for me when I was 18 years old. Yeah. Getting on the job, you spent the first year in Engine 85, which is out in the Bronx. It's not yeah. around anymore, but it was out in the Bronx at the time. Were you, and this is where you can refresh my memory, because this I did forget. 
were you going to the same boxes as 82 or did you have somewhat of a geographical rivalry with them where you had to fight them for boxes? With 92? With 82. Um, no, we, well, they were right down the road. You know, they were on the corner of uh, 169 in Interville and we were on the corner of, of uh, 169 in Boston Road. So we were situated in between 50 engine and 19 and mm -hmm. 82 and 31. But I never, there was never a really, you know, you know, big, because it, it, the way it worked out was uh, if you're first two, you're first two. Yeah. Right. It, that's, that's all there was to it. And we went by box assignment. Yeah. At right. that point. No, of course. And one of the things is, and I remember talking about this with Jeff Cool, because Jeff Cool was a truck 19 guy before he went to rescue three, spent his whole career in the Bronx. Just how proud you guys were to be "quote unquote" ghetto firemen, and that's not a, a derogatory term. It's said with nothing but love because these are some of the more, you know, some of the poorest communities, especially. And I and I felt this when I read Dennis Smith's uh, report from Engine Company '82. Not just in the city or even the state, but in the world. And yet, you know, you guys coming from the outside to those communities, you never looked down on them. You were the happiest there to serve them, more so than you would if you were working on a fire station in the middle of Fifth Avenue. Oh, without a doubt. Um, when I got out of probate school, uh, it was me, Charlie Flood, and Herbie Palminter. We uh, took our car and we drove to the firehouse, you know, right after the graduation. And as we're driving through the South Bronx at the time, it was it's what uh, Dresden looked like after the, after after we firebombed them during World War II. It was just acres and acres and acres of uh, brick gardens. And I'm thinking to myself, what have I gotten myself into? You know? And to go to a firehouse that was made out of metal, didn't have a pole, and it was like, a, it was a strange, it's not, it wasn't what I expected, but it, it turned out to be one of the best times in my whole time in my career, in my, in my career on the job. Because everybody who worked there, uh, they were all veterans of, of those war years that produced those brick gardens in the, in the South Bronx. You know, and so uh, they, I learned a lot in one year. There, you know, right. I worked with legends. These guys were absolutely, if you read that book, that report from Engine 82, he changed a lot of the names, but all, all of those guys were still working and they were working in uh, 85 Engine you know, which is now down the road from them. Right. And I think what was nice about that is, okay, yeah, as a probie, either as a rookie cop or a rookie fireman, you do have to earn your stripes, more so as a fireman because you're living with these guys. With the police department, you do go home at the end of the tour for the most part. Um, but with the fire department, obviously you're living there if you're doing a 24. Yeah, there comes a point in time where you get to speak. But once that's the case, and once you earn your stripes and prove yourself, these guys want you, even if they're gruff, even if they have a tough exterior, they want you to approach them. And most part, for the most part, they want to help you learn. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, at that time, a lot of the, uh, there was a lot of, uh, I'm not going to call it hazy, but you know, a lot of ball breaking. Yeah. You know? Right. Uh, but I was kind of lucky. I was, I was, I was older by the time I got there. So I know the deal. Shut up. And, you know, learn your job, and uh, they don't—they didn't—they didn't really break my balls that much at all. Right. You know, compared to some other places that that, that I've seen where they do it, um, they uh, 
they treated me with respect. You know, plus my first time on a job, we went to, we went to you know a bunch of old hands and a third of one. You know, and I got my chance on it. That was my you know my first time on the nozzle and an actual fire. Yeah. Uh, so you know, all you got to do is do your job. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of vacants too. There was a lot of vacants around that time in the in the South Bronx. So if we were drilling or, or whatever, we'd go into the vacants and just you know drill in there. Yeah. Yeah. It's got a, it's 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 tough when you got an influx an influx when you're used to working a certain way and then there's an influx of these new guys, us us being the you know, the probies. Yeah. So a lot of these guys, you know, took it took it to heart and made sure we learned how to do the job the right way. Did you guys do in your company? Because I remember hearing the story that uh, Joe, uh, not Joe Vigiano, oh my God, John, uh, John Vigiano, that he would do this with his men um, in rescue too. They would take vacant cars too that nobody owned, just abandoned cars and drill with those too. Were you guys doing that? Oh, yeah. In the Bronx? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because there was cars all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, at the time, at the time I was, I was driving a 1976. Uh, AMC Gremlin, ugliest car in the world, right? <laughs> but it, it ran, you know? So I'm thinking, who's going to try to rob this thing? You know? Sure enough, I'm out, battery's gone. You know? <laughs> yeah, uh, the the uh, seats are gone. And then you go pick up another battery, you know? And you, you would aim, the, you'd wrap this heavy chain around the hood. They'd get, they'd get past it. They'd get your battery. So a lot of, we... Anytime we had those vacants, if there was still a good battery in there, we'd bring them back to the firehouse and, you know, charge them up for when that inevitability where you'd be, someone would steal your battery. Yeah. <laughs> they stole the seats out of my car. That takes creativity, I oh, must say. It's not right, but it takes creativity. Out of my car. I had to go to the junkyard, you know, and I'll find a, a pair of AMC, you know, gremlin seats or, you know, whatever it was. I drove home. I remember driving home with a, a, a piece of two by four holding a, a, a piece of plywood sitting on um, a milk crate. <laughs> That's how I got home. And then the next day I went to the local junkyard and got seats. Yeah. Oh my God. So it was, you know, it was a game between us and them. Yeah. You know? Right. Right. And they would, I mean, my God, and you'll talk about this. I mean, they, they were not easy. If you think, and it's not that sometimes, and this was something that was mentioned in the documentary, Man, Man Alive on Engine Company 82. Right. And in a, in a black firefighter, I don't remember his name. I do know that uh, one of his nieces was uh, Maddie Lawrence, who's a friend of mine, who's a retired emergency service cop. But he was mentioning that they look at you and you would think they would give the police a hard time. And they did. But they look at firemen, too, as a symbol of authority, as part of the system, quote, unquote. So right. a lot of them living in these desperate and unfortunate circumstances, you wouldn't think, obviously, you guys are always coming there to help them, nothing more, nothing less. You wouldn't think they'd target you, but they did, as you said. It was a constant game. They were throwing bricks at the guys on the rooftop. As a matter of fact, you know, uh, uh, my car from 85 engine got hit by, you know, they were riding, this is when they were riding the back step, got hit in the head with a brick and died. You know, and that's when they started putting the metal over the uh, the back back step, and then they finally made guys ride in the jump seat. You know, so they stopped all kinds of of uh, back step riding. You know, the only time I ever had a chance to ride the back step was when uh, we'd go do hydrants or uh, or a building inspection. Mm. You know, and even then, 
the chief pulled up behind you. You see, oh, the guys are riding the back step. You know, all right, get back in, get the next hydrant, get back on the back step again. You know? Right. Airmail. Yeah. Yeah. It was a sad, it was a sad time, you know, for, for that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, but one of the busiest Fourth of July's I've ever had was a 92 engine. And I can't, I can't even tell you how many fires we went to. We, we were out all day and night. And the locals would take pieces of conduit up, they would be up on a roof and they'd use the conduit to aim the bottle rockets that they'd be firing at us from the rooftop. Yeah. It was like a scene from that movie, guys. We were in present danger. You know, they have the RPGs from the roof, yeah. except these guys are shooting bottle rockets at us. My God. Now, allegedly, we might have shot a few back at them. But I allegedly. I think the statute of limitations has expired, though. You're good on yeah, that. Yeah, I think so. It's well over 20 years. <laughs> so you're good. You know, but again, as you said, it's funny. These stories you wouldn't hear anybody, any anywhere else, but you guys, as you just said, that had the time of your lives. There's nowhere else you'd rather work. And I think people that don't understand the fire service, if they're not buffs or never been in it, might look at guys like you saying these stories and think, these guys are crazy. Oh, without a doubt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, 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 all, I think every firehouse, every firehouse has a front door. Usually change the tours in the afternoon, wait for guys to come in. You'd be standing out there, maybe doing a little maintenance on a rig or whatever. And it's the greatest show on earth watching the locals come, go by. Yeah. Of course. Some nut, some really nice people and some really crazy people. You yeah. Know. Or both. Really, <laughs> or both. Yeah. 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 Oh, man. And 92, 92 was putting in work during that time because 82 had their peak and they were still very busy around the time in their own right. Yeah. 92 yeah. was neck and neck with them during this era, though, that you were there. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Well, uh, I had a, a, a captain I worked with in 150 truck who lived in that area and was a fireman in 92 engine. His name was uh, Jim McCarthy. McCarthy. Yeah, McCarthy. And uh, he told me uh, he was living up there back when 82 was really busy back in the 60s. And uh, but that side of the Bronx it's still nice, you know? And uh, he was working the 92 engine. 92 engine at that time was not that busy compared to what 82 and 31 were doing. And then things changed. They burnt down that part of the Bronx and they migrated over to the uh, west side, over to the other side of the Grand Concourse. And uh, things started heating up. Yeah, we were doing a lot of work. You know, uh, a lot of work. You know, you do a lot of running, too. A lot of ERS, no contact, you know. Uh, but uh, we were catching our share of work. And a lot of it was, you know, six-story ages. You know, and multi-wing. You know, there was one building on uh, Walton Avenue, 12, 1259 Walton. Six wings. It, it, it Allegedly, it was uh, uh, Babe Ruth had a uh, an apartment there when he played for the Yankees. That would make sense. And they were... They were beautiful buildings, marble, you know, entry, you know, wall, uh, entries when you walked in. You could tell, like, during the 20s and 30s that these were, the con- that's when the concourse was, was the concourse. You know, it was a beautiful place to live. And uh, now it was just, you know, just crack things, you know. So you'd have, you'd have to have an SOP. Okay, we have a fire in the ear. It, it, the way it would work would be working from left to right, A, B, C, D. E, F, yeah, 
okay, if we have a fire in the in the F wing, where are we going to stretch into? Because otherwise, if you start in the in the middle main entrance, um, it could be a twenty line stretch. That's how long some of these buildings are. You know, yeah. And uh, so, you, if you're doing that that kind of work up and down the stairs all the time, you know, and there was buildings on the other side of the concourse up by Highbridge, where on uh, one side of the uh, uh, of the street it was ten stories, and if you went in into a window on the first two or three uh, windows, you'd end up you end up falling down to the boiler and then you went up on the uh, university side. And it was like a regular six-story age age type, you know, uh, just a different. It was a different piece, you know, um, and just like some really, you know, interesting fires there. Yeah, we had a fire on I think it was University Avenue, and um, in those buildings they had in these age types, they had what they called sunken living rooms, and usually the sign of the sunken living room from from the street. Was you'd have this big picture window, and uh, we had a fire. <coughs> Forty-two engine was first built. Um, the window, the window uh, took off and uh, created like a blowtorch out into the hallway, and uh, so they got driven back. Um, one of the members of forty-four truck was still trapped inside the apartment, and uh, luckily for him, the way the wind took the fire. It went, came out the doorway, and then it followed the path of least resistance, which was down a twenty-foot hallway into into the uh, the main hallway. And he was able to, at the foresight, to get on his back, kick out the uh, the adjoining uh, apartment wall, and he got into the adjoining apartment. Still got burnt pretty good, you know. But that's where that's where he was found. We thought he was dead, and we ended up. Uh, Going with um, not us and 42, we had our lines stretched and charged, and we ended up going side by side down the hallway just to push the fire uh, the fire back. And that was one of like the first examples of what I saw of uh, like a wind driven fire. You know, it was uh, it was uh, really crazy. You know, thankfully the outcome was good. You know, he spent a couple of weeks in the uh, in the burn center. You know, but. Uh, yeah, you know, it worked out. Yeah, you know? and uh, I think he's still on the job. He's a he's a chief. He's a chief now. Yeah, you know? mm. sharp guy, sharp line. Mm. Yeah, and that I mean, if you remember, that's kind of what I think that's what killed those three members in 1998 in Mendeley Avenue was the wind driven fire there, if I'm not mistaken, in Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah as a matter of fact, uh, one of the guys, uh, Joe Cavalier, we were good friends, and uh, mm. we had uh, he had gotten promoted. And he was bouncing in the fifteenth, and he had uh, the spot in uh, one seventy. Yeah, that was uh, and it's two fifty two. Ended up responding to that job. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't working. Yeah, but uh, it was uh, that was a crazy job. Yeah, they went uh, above and beyond. Uh, you get those guys out of the public hallway down, you know, down, down to the street. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was a, it gets overshadowed because of what happened three years later, but that was really a terrible year for the FDNY and terrible year really for the city as a whole, for the NYPD as well, because I think between the PD uh, and the FD, nine first responders were killed in the line of duty that year. Three cops were shot and killed in a five, six month span for the NYPD. Right. Um, 
including one of them in Brooklyn, Tony Massimillo in the 6-7 precinct. And then for the FDNY, you lost those three members at Atlantic Avenue in June and then right. Vidalia Avenue in December of 98, six months apart. So that's a really, like I said, it gets forgotten because of 01, but 98 yeah. was not a good year for either departments. Yeah, that was uh, that one that led that fire on Atlantic Avenue was uh, probably the worst up until that point. Uh, was probably the worst fire I'd ever been to, in in the sense of the the chaos and, and everything that went along with it, you know. And we I had just gotten it to engine two fifty two because they weren't a squad yet. Um, it was one of the, I still had a, a lot one fifty truck. Uh, front piece on, uh, I remember because it was a pitcher float or not. <coughs> Excuse me, um, you know, but that was that was a bad fire. Yeah, I yeah. The, uh, I remember that like it was yesterday. Yeah, yeah. It's I don't know if it's, yeah. We I'm going to ask you about it later, and I guess that answers <laughs> one of the questions that we had in the chat because Mike Thomas who's watching says, "Hey Lou, did you work in two two five two? And they were just a single engine company. You just said that right before they became the squad. You did. So I will get to that fire, but I want to go back a second to 90 um, real quick before I get to engine 301, ladder 50, well, ladder 150 in those years. Did you go to Happy Land after the fact? I think you told me you went after the fact just to cover that real quick. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, no, not after. No, I didn't go to happy room. Oh, okay, so that was somebody else that told me they went after the fact. That was uh, another crazy fire in the Bronx. But you went to Engine 301, Ladder 150. This is in Queens. Like I was saying in the introduction, you're a Queens Marine. But, you know, don't make, don't get it twisted. Queens does put in a lot of work. And you know that from that standpoint, of course, later on, as we'll talk about your years in Rescue 4. But here you are. You're doing so much work in the Bronx. It's such a great place to be if you want the action. Remember, it's not just the fires, the medical emergencies, unfortunately, the shootings and the stabbings and things like that. Were you burnt out? Is that why you wanted to go to Queens, or what no, was it? No, no, it was. Uh, well, I mean, the commute for me was hard. Ah, okay. To be honest with you. <clears throat> yeah. Um, the, the one fourth of July, I went into work. It took me four hours to get to work. Yeah, just like inching along the Cross Bronx Expressway. But uh, I had a kid, and uh, my son, my son Chris, he was uh, two months premature. Uh, and he was going to need a couple of operations after that. And, uh, you know, my wife and I just decided that it, it was best to move a little for me to move. I mean, I was passing a lot of the firehouses on the way, on the way to work in, uh, in, in the Bronx. Uh, so my, 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 uh, my friend Danny was, uh, was on the job and he was working in that area. And I said, 
I don't know much about this area. Tell me, yeah, what do you think I should put in for? So I decided to go to three on one engine, and uh, that was uh, a culture shock for me. You know, because <laughs> it was it, it's in a residential area, right? You know, the firehouse itself is a nice it's a nice neighborhood. You know, I pull up in my you know I pull up in my in my pickup truck, and there's a there's a guy mowing his lawn out in front of the firehouse. I'm going. What did I get myself into? Yeah. <laughs> I think my Where are the vacants? I think Danny Fusco gave me bad information here. You know, but then that night we caught, you know, we caught a couple of good all, all hands. You know, and the good thing about that area of Queens was it's all private dwellings for the most part. You know, except for taxpayers on the Jamaica and uh, and uh, Hillside Avenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you go to work, put the fire out. Pack up the hose, get back to the firehouse. Your meal is still hot, you know, or at least warm on on the table, you know. So it was called the land at a five minute old hand. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, you, we we did our fair share of work there. Yeah, you know? uh, I really enjoyed my time there. I spent eight years in that firehouse. Yeah, you know? um, you know, it's just yeah, you know, it's just crazy. I see Mike Mike Milner saying, "Imagine what the tolls are." That's the other thing, you know, paying the tolls going across. Didn't have easy pass back then. Right. You had to get tokens or, uh, you know, or pay, you know, paying quarters. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was a good move. I mean, um, it was easy to get to for me. I lived in, you know, I, I lived in Suffolk now. So I was living here that back then, and uh, it it was a, a good, you know, a good place to work. Yeah. You know, yeah. When I first when I first started working in the engine, uh, there was a guy. I didn't have a mutual partner in the engine. There was a guy in the truck, Richie West. God bless you, Richie. And uh, he uh, he said, you want to work missions with me in the truck? So I said, yeah. So uh, every 24, I'd work part of the 24 in the engine and work for part of the 24 in the truck. Yeah, and then eventually I put my paper in and I went across the floor of the truck. Yeah. And uh, I really like that. Yeah, I, I, like, I like truck work. You know, I mean, I loved engine work. Having a knob at a job, is is the best position on the job, but you know, there's four other guys on the back step or three other guys on the back step, and uh, what's your chances of you know of getting that nozzle? And then, uh, but working in the truck, you get to do a little bit of everything. You know, you're you know breaking down doors. You know, you're uh, you're doing your searches and ventilating the windows, getting getting to the roof. You know, a lot of responsibility. It's more um, for me. It, it was a really good fit because. Yeah, I come from a construction background. I'm good with tools, so it it was it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it, uh, you know working in the truck, and then yeah, I became a chauffeur. Yeah, so I had that responsibility. Uh, not the best chauffeur on the job by any means. Yeah, because I always had a hard time. All right, boss, where are we going? Yeah, yeah, had to give me. It's hard. Question. It's hard because you got to learn a new area. I mean, I was lucky as a boss. I had great chauffeurs. Uh, as I mean. Once I got there, I'll get, I'll get, you know, I'll do my job. I'll get it up there. But I wasn't the best chauffeur, for sure. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's tough. It's not, it's not, it's, it, like I said, it's not easy to drive that big rig through the streets of the city. That's where everything is so narrow as it is. But especially when you're going from one area to another, you knew the Bronx, yeah. you've learned the Bronx. Now you got to learn Queens. And I have a running joke here with Joe Baliga, my man in the chat. And we always do this. It does. If I have an emergency service cop on, or if I have a fireman on, he always asks this question. So it's our little thing. And he wants to know, did you ever deliver a baby? 
Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I, there I we go. All right. <laughs> I personally didn't uh, deliver the baby because I was a lieutenant at the time. But mm -hmm. when I was a lieutenant to uh, Squad 252, we responded to an apartment and it was uh, an African woman mm -hmm. and uh, she didn't speak English. Uh, they just like escorted us into the into the apartment. She's t sitting on the toilet bowl, and the, half of the baby is is out. You know, she was gonna do this on her own. Somebody else in the apartment called called the EMS, and we just she did. The, you know, she delivered the baby. <coughs> we just guided her along. You know, but yeah, the answer to that question is yes. We did deliver a baby. Yeah. Yeah. Into the toilet but, bowl, not onto the floor, miss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they didn't name him Baby Cheese either. No. <laughs> See, I'm glad I asked that question because that's Joe, like I said, that's Joe and I's running joke. And there we go. Actually, that might, that might, that's in contendership for the highlight of the show. So that yeah. just might be the highlight of the show. We'll see. Yeah. You know, there might be more highlights to come. We're talking about Bob Chisano, retired FDNY Lieutenant, Volume 28. This is of the best and bravest interviews with the FDNY's elite. Of course, a uh, distinguished career for Bob. He spent half of his career, just about half of his career, in the Special Operations Command. And I guess we can get into that because this is what I wanted to say. You brought up a good point with truck work. And this is not to say that rescue captains or SOC chiefs thumb their noses up at engine men. But I think they like truck guys especially because, as you said, they're doing a little bit of everything. And if they have that added background like you did in construction, hey, that's a right. perfect fit for SOC. Yeah, but, I mean, I, I knew uh, rescue captains that would always make sure they, they'd always have a couple of Benjamin um, who worked in the, in the rescue. Ed Monaghan in Rescue 4 was from 218 Engine. Mm -hmm. um, okay. We had Dom Bertucci from uh, 50 Engine, Rescue 4. You know, it's good. It's a good mix because, you know, you're going to have to, eventually you're going to have to make sure that that line gets, gets put into play, you know, right. you know, and I, my feeling on it has always been, I can, I can always, uh, pretty much always take an engineer and teach him truck work and he'll do it effectively. It's not always the same way around. A lot of, a lot of guys who spent their, their career in a truck don't always make good engine, but some of the best truckies I've ever seen came from the engine first. You, know? you have to start somewhere. They appreciate those little things that you know uh, that the truckie does. Yeah, you know? hmm. if the truckie doesn't vent and he doesn't take the roof, it's gonna it's gonna be a tough push into that apartment. If if the truck does their job, they get the roof, and the OV gets the. Uh, the, the window on the opposite side of the apartment as you're making that push in, man, it's just like, it's like magic, you know, it's just easy going. But if you don't have that ventilation, it's going to be a tough, it's, it's going to be a tough go. Yeah. Right. You know, no place for the smoke to go. No place for the heat to go. You know, one of the, the one, one, one of the times I got burnt real bad, I got burnt real bad. This is before we had bunking here, right between my legs. Swing and a miss, he struck him out. That's right. But thank God for cotton underwear. <laughs> that, that part, ah. that part of, the junk didn't get burnt, but the inside of my legs did. Yeah, you know? that ain't fun. From steam, that is not... steam had no place to go. Right. You know? Where does it go? It goes up and then it goes back down around. Yeah. yeah. 
not fun. And and to Mike Thomas, before I continue, I see your question, Mike. I'm going to get to it a little bit later because I don't want to jump too far ahead, but it's a good question. I promise I'll get to it. And I mean, that's just it because I, I always bring this story, this story up. It's one of my favorite stories. It was one that Timmy Brown was telling me right before he went to OEM. I think this is like one of his last jobs in Rescue 3 in 98. He was telling me that him and a guy from Squad 41 were on the roof one time, to your point about giving that smoke somewhere to go. Maydays were coming in on this particular job left and right. The second they cut the roof, Mayday stopped because that smoke had a place to go. And that job, right. within a few minutes after they started cutting the roof, it was over. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's it doesn't seem like, like a big, but the roof position in the fire department is a really, really important. And the way I was always taught to do it is, is say you're in a brownstone or, or a tenement or whatever, is you start at the front and work your way to the back. Yeah. <laughs> Sounding as you go along, go by the skylight, take the skylight out, right? And then go to the, go to the rear, look over the back, see if there's anybody hanging out the window, come back, take the bulkhead door, and then complete your ventilation. And then you'd start making your way down for a search off the roof. Yeah. So it's, but it's like an orchestra. If, if we could put cameras, on the first two uh, companies, each one, and mm -hmm. then align it, you'd see that it's it's a ballet, you know? Right. Uh, if, uh, the OV, the roof man, the forcible entry team, the boss, what he's doing at the same time, the engineman, how they're stretching the line, how they're bringing it up the stoop or into, into the building. And just watching this whole thing, you could put ballet music to it. It would be beautiful. Yeah. When it's done right. You know. Right. And uh, it's fortunate. You know, all the companies I pretty much have ever worked around in Queens and in uh, in Brooklyn and the Bronx, uh, it's they're all well-trained. They all do their job. You know, they're not out in the street doing this, you know. All right. It's Wake up and go 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 home and do it all over again. Yeah. Right. And when you are a fire officer, you are the maestro. You are the composer leading it along, you know, knowing when to pitch the music upward or the work in this case upward, knowing when to lower it to a crawl when need be. And that comes with time and experience. I had uh, great officers to learn from, you know, starting from, you know, from when I got on the job in 85 engine to, uh, is squad 252. I think my biggest influence on how to be an officer was Steve uh, Raswell. He was my captain in 252. He was the uh, um, the original, the founding captain of 252. Okay. Just, just, uh, yeah, calm, collected, no yelling. Just, okay, Bob, how are we doing? Okay, let's move it in a little bit more. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I, I've seen him. He was my captain at the, you know, at the Atlantic Avenue fire. Just, just calm, cool, collected, and, and that goes from all the bosses that that I had. We had there at the time, Pete Martin and uh, Eddie Metcalf. They, they, they were just all quiet, calm down. All right. If you heard them screaming, which they never did, then you knew, you know, you knew that they it was were, serious. I want to say the S word. Uh, the S hat was on, as we as we call it. Yeah, 
And, uh, but it just never happened. So he was my biggest influence on how to be as a boss. And I think I carried it on, uh, you know, as my, uh, you know, my, my 15 years as a lieutenant, you know, so yeah, I think it was 15, whatever. Yeah, it doesn't really matter, but, you know, uh, yeah, great, you know, you learn from, you learn from good people and you learn how to act it. You know, you can tell a lot about a person how he conducts himself on the fire floor. Let me just say, because you mentioned Ed Metcalf, I'm going to scream, Ed, will you come on the show? I've been, <laughs> been trying to get Ed Metcalf on this show forever, man, you know, and hopefully I can get him. Well, he, he's, he, he, he took a position with the Port Authority. Uh, Oh, I didn't. I knew he. Knew, I knew he started a new job. I didn't know that he, uh, that was the job. Okay. Well, good right. for Ed. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah we'll tell him I know Port Authority guys. Listen. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic. When I can, I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, I, I don't know if, if, if guys could, would, would come on if they're still active. You know, active. Uh, that's probably what it is. You know All what right. I mean? All right, yeah. yeah. This that's day true. and age. Social media, true, HR, all that stuff. Yeah, gotta be know. careful. You gotta be careful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Me, Man. what are they gonna do to me? <laughs> right, you know that's the benefit of, of course, being retired. And uh, somebody told me, yeah, Ed will never stay retired. That manic apparently he never stops working. He's a workaholic, and that, right. I mean that lovingly. I don't mean that in derogatory sense, of course. Some people, I mean, I have a cousin. You know, my cousin Bill, who was a he was a big influence on me, uh, my early life. Plus, he was a volunteer fireman in uh, in Freeport on the island, which at the time um, was a busy volunteer fire department. I, think I they, imagine they're still pretty busy, but mm -hmm. you know, uh, hair shaking, um, uh, uh, a, a bunch of guys. Bruce Newberry. Yeah, right. They, which he was good for, and he worked with all those guys. Mm -hmm. um, but he's still working. He's eighty. 69. He's 80, 81 years old, still working in the sheriff's department down in Georgia. <laughs> Good for him. I love it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Good for him. yeah. My hey, God. <laughs> hey, Bill, keep at it, man. That's awesome. Hey, Warren, let me ask you real quick uh, before I get to the question. Actually, done. No, let me let me get to Mike Milner's question, and we'll talk about these guys a little bit more down the road. But uh, Mike Milner wanted to know if you work with Tommy Cavecas, who was in two five two. Sadly, he got killed on that. DK, Tommy Kavekis. As Tommy Burke pointed out to me uh, at the Rock uh, when they were starting up the squads, he pointed out Tommy Kavekis and he said, that guy's the best fireman on the job. And he was. You know, he, he really was. Just a fireman's fireman. 
didn't and one of those guys didn't care about medals didn't care about anything else just just wanted to go to work right yeah right yeah Somebody, uh, his obituary in the New York Times said that he was on his way to becoming a legend, but it sounds like from what you just said, he already was. He already was a legend. Yeah. 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 You know, we, we used to call him old leather puss. <laughs> he never wore his mask. You know? <laughs> yeah. And he was always out in the sun. Yeah. But Tommy was a great guy. And he, he, he was a vegetarian. And I used to, I cooked a lot at the time at the firehouse. And uh, he was like one of those few guys you never asked for it. But when I cooked and he was working, I always kept, I always either made him a vegetarian ver version of that meal or I would just make a whole nother portion thing. Like if we were having, uh, say we were having hamburgers, just, yeah, then I would go get uh, some portobello mushrooms put some salt, uh, garlic salt and uh, whatever, and grill it and put some vegetarian cheese on it. And he'd be happy as a pig in you know, crap. Uh, and every once in a while, he would try to shove a vegetarian meal down our throat. And he'd just laugh at him and say, we're not eating that crap. Yeah. Where's the beef at? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Tommy's a great guy. Yeah, Good fireman, good carpenter, you know, just... Uh, yeah, it, that that was a tough uh, tough loss for the company. Yeah, I imagine. Yeah. yeah. When when you got to two five two in ninety eight, I mean, I know I remember Hank telling me that they just called him up and said, "Hey, would you be interested in doing this?" Because by that point, he had nineteen years on. You had thirteen right. years on. I know the younger guys tried out. Did they do the same thing they did with Hank with you? I uh, pretty much, yeah. All right. Although I, you know, I would, uh, I uh, Tommy Burke and I were, were friends. And, you know, we kind of talked about it. We said, you know what, just to be on the up and up, we're going to go down to these tryouts anyway, just to, yeah. So it, you know, it doesn't make it seem like, you know, but yeah, we, I, we had already known we were going there. Yeah. We were talking a little bit about it off the air with 252. I mean, they were dangling some carrots in front of guys. Uh, you want to go to hazmat crickets, nothing. You want to go to 1075? Yeah. <laughs> they were coming in yeah, that, like crazy. I mean, that, that's basically the way it was, you know, it was the, you know, it's like ticket, the ticket to go to the, uh, the golden ticket to go to, you know, Willy Wonka's place, you know, and that's what it was. Yeah. Okay. You're going to have to do hazmat. And that was the first school that they sent us to, you know, uh, was, was hazmat, you know, and then uh, we started, uh, and then it was uh, um, introduction to the rescue stuff. It was like a two week course. Where they give you little snippets of everything, and then they started sending it to collapse, a high angle, all these other schools. Excuse me, and it took about a year, you know, to get through, you know to get through all that all that training, and and even then, you know, the chiefs were reluctant to use us because uh, um, you know, and I don't blame them, you know, you know these guys. You know, you got the Chiefs in the three seven knew as knew the company as engine two fifty two two fifty two, and now they're a squad and they're responding to all the fires. But yeah, we our reputation became very good. Yeah, but you know, by the time uh, you know two thousands came along, I I say we were doing pretty good with that. You know, we had proven proven ourselves. You know, I would agree. 
um, I, I will get to Atlantic Avenue in a second, but I, I was, I remember like some of the guys and it was particularly difficult when engine 18 became squad 18, because some of the guys who stayed there when it was an engine company and when it was subsequently made a squad, you know, they clashed a lot with the guys that were coming in as newbies into the squad. Did right. you guys keep a lot of the old crew from 252? Did they roll into the squad? Pretty much the whole company. Okay. Well, good. Yeah. And it, it wasn't uh, contentious then? No, there was one or two guys that, that had left uh, on their own volition, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but uh, pretty much everybody, you know, the captain had pulled everybody. They had a meeting. and uh, But being uh, at the time, they were a four man engine. Uh, so their roster was a little bit lower than. It would have been if it was a five-man engine. So pretty much everybody that he brought in from the outside came from truck companies, you know, except for uh, Richie Meyer. Uh, but, yeah, it's uh, myself, Larry Tompkins, uh, Pat Lyons, uh, who else? Um, I'm having a brain. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, but it was about seven guys who came in. Yeah, uh, Hank Freed, 124. Um Yes, and so uh, we we were pretty much supplemented that you know the company is, and kind of got them up to speed on truck work. You know, yeah. I mean, but I mean, a lot of these guys already were great, great firemen. Yeah, you know, yeah, good firemen. All right, this is what you're gonna do now. You're gonna take a how are gonna force a door. Yeah, no problem. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So it that was. I think that was the difference between some of the other uh, companies that became squad. You know, a lot of guys left those other companies. And uh, uh, Captain Rossmiller, to his credit, pretty much told everybody that uh, we're either in this together or we're out together. Yeah. So, uh, and he had that quality to bring people together. You know. Yeah. So I guess that does bring us to June 5th of 1998 and the first deadly fire of that year for the FDNY. So this is in Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn. One of the guys that was killed, as we'll talk about, was actually, and I read this in the last minute out, handpicked by Chief Downey to go in the sock right before it became sock. Right. So you guys aren't a squad yet. You're still an engine. It's a month before. But nevertheless, you did go there. You were working that night. So tell me about that fire from your right. vantage point. Well, uh, like I said, we were still an engine. And uh, it was, uh, we had worked, I had worked that day to work. And uh, I remember we had a, uh, what we called the fun fire because it was, uh, uh, it was a shed in the backyard, you know, uh, not, we were first to, <coughs> and so we're laughing about it, you know, well, the new engines at the time had these electronic governors on it. And if I told you, I knew how they worked, I'd be lying to you. But what it made it do, if um, if air was sucked into the line, it would over-rev, and then you'd have a surge, right? So they had, a lot of companies hadn't gotten used to how these uh, these engines work. They finally, they got an SOP that if, uh, if you hooked up to the hydrant first and then put it into pumps, it wasn't a problem. But if you were giving us booster water, which is what they did, they did for us that that day, um, and then you introduced uh, uh, the hydrogen into it. Um, it would suck air and overrev. And what happened was the uh, 
on the, the length, came off, hit a guy from 136, knocked him out clean. So we kind of thought that was funny. <laughs> you know, fly me, Julie. So we're back at the firehouse. It's around change of tour. And uh, I remember the call comes in. Yeah, a heavy fire in this building on the land there. Looking, you could look directly south from the firehouse, see a column, large column of black smoke. Um, the second alarm gets gets uh, kicked in. All right, we're first new engine on the second alarm. We make it quick down to down, down to the fire building. We got the uh, where. You know, it seems like Atlantic Avenue was, this was um, like a service road to uh, the uh, the train tracks that uh, went above Atlantic Avenue. And uh, so we couldn't get on onto Atlantic. We're parked on the side street. Uh, we pull up to the front of the fire building. Myself, uh, Captain Rasweiler, Michael Rosa, Jack Donnelly, and uh, Chief Gallon orders us. Uh, on the line that was already snaked into the building. And uh, we get in, and uh, it was just, you know, just pandemonium. It's, uh, you know, uh, the line is uh, not operating because those guys that were trying to get these guys who fell from the second floor down. Uh, some of the, uh, the firemen were hanging from the, uh, from the floor joists. And uh, Guys were buried underneath each other. You know, there was a, the probie was in the corner. He was conscious and he's screaming because he's, you know, you're getting burnt up. Three uh, uh, firemen are stacked on top of each other. You know, so between myself and Michael Rosa, we're operating uh, the line, we're shifting off, you know, pulling uh, people out of this pile. Um, there was uh, one fireman on top. Um, I forget who it was. I'm not sure. I think it was Terry Quinn. And uh, so we're trying to get him out. But he's got all this debris. We're trying to knock the debris off of him. And another guy, another guy from 283, um, Joe Wydell. Wydell, Big guy. Tremendous. He had hands like hand hogs. And uh, we managed to get, get him out of the pile. And Pulled him by the mask, and uh, and his bunker gear was starting to fall off. And I remember getting him out to the street, and guys were pointing out his his bunker gear is off. What are you doing? And I look at these guys. I said, you know, this guy's trapped in there. You know, this fireman trapped. You know, and then we went back trying to get the other guys. I think it was not even Stackpole. I know Blackmore was the, the guy on the bottom. Um, and I remember looking at the back, you could see the back, the back of the building was falling off. And, uh, you could see almost like, you know, every once in a while the smoke would lift and you could see, you could see, you know, sky from, from there. Now we operated in there a long time, um, getting these guys out. Chief Gilbuff was on the inside and he was very supportive of us, you know, and, because uh, he knew that we're not going to back out of the building, you know. It, you know, we're not leaving until we get everybody out. Yeah. And I don't even think the chiefs in the, out in the street would even attempt to, uh, to get us out, you know. So it's like, it's like times like that, you know, you, 
it's weird to say, but I had a certain amount of uh, clarity and peace that uh, that comes over. And I'm, you know, I'm just thinking to myself, I said, well, if I bite the bullet here, then oh well. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Listen, I love my family to be protected. I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. I could never live myself live with myself if I didn't do the right thing. Yeah. But that was uh, that was uh, a really, that was tough fire. That, that fire bothered me for a long time. Still does. You know. Just uh, happy to be here, though. Yeah. Unfortunately, two firemen died. A couple of firemen in their careers were uh, stopped short. I know the lieutenant, uh, the, the probably at the time, I believe he's now a lieutenant. Oh, he might be a captain by now, you know, up in the Bronx. So he went on to have a, have a good career, you know. Yeah. And that that almost marked the end, and it's so sad because that almost marked the end of Timmy Stackpole's career. Timmy fought so hard uh, to get back to the job, just to right. end up dying three years later. I think he was in the medical office too that day. Yeah, uh, you know. Yeah, he went no, down. I remember. Uh, he, he at the time he was working, he was doing my duty in the medical office, and he was doing the uh, mask fit, mm-hmm. like checking the fit of the mask and stuff like that. They had a special machine that they would put it on to make sure you know how to. Yeah, get it fit right and all that stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's a shame. He was a good guy too. Yeah, yeah, really. His brother also. Yeah. yeah, they did a they did a great piece on him uh, back in one late one Charlie Gibson and uh, Diane Sawyer for ABC News. It was really well done, and I'll uh, try to put it up on YouTube or not put it up on YouTube, but I'll establish the link in the description later on on Timmy. I will say, uh, get before I get to some of the other jobs from that early period. In that early period, before that day, 98 to 2000, when you were detailed to other companies, excluding the rescues, what was your favorite other squad to work in besides 252? I'd have to say 41. Yeah, up in the Bronx. I really, right. that was a night, that was a, a really uh, good, good, good firehouse, good squad, single, you know, single company in there. Um, catch a lot of variety of works, you know. Plus, it gave me a chance to go back to the Bronx. Both exactly. As a fireman and a, uh, you know, as an officer, you know, working all the time there. Yeah. Right. And they always treated me, you know, treated me good there. Yeah. 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 I mean, and, you know, there's a, there a lot of the different companies. Uh, you know, 18 was a real nice place because it was just different. It was in a different part of the city. You know, I covered there for, uh, uh, I did a, a UFO spot there. 
<clears throat> right before I got the spot in 252. And uh, it was just a nice place. Nice people. Yeah. You're seeing celebrities on the street and stuff like that. So if you worked in like bad areas of the city and then all of a sudden you, you, you're put into it like a real people say hello, they bring my cakes, they do this, they do that, you know. Uh, yeah, it's just different. Yeah. yeah. That's the beauty of the city. Like anywhere you go in the five boroughs, like Ron Kiraba was telling me this, Ron Zoni was telling me this when he was on the show. You like you go to Staten Island, some guys will say, No, we got the best house. You go to Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, the Bronx, you know, different places, different flavor. Right. But that same, you know, camaraderie and that same mentality for the most part. That was part of the reason why um, when they closed that 85 engine, I mean, I would who knows? I might have stayed there for 30 years. Mm. Yeah. But then I went to 92 engine and I saw that all the faces are different. But the guys are the same. Yeah. Uh, so making a you know, making a move, some guys will spend 34 years in one firehouse. God bless them, you know. Right. Uh, me, I you know, I was in more, more than that, you know. And it, the transition isn't that hard. Yeah. And you get right. to see a little bit more of the city. You had an interesting turf war there, uh, and I say that just in terms of getting to the job because you said earlier first two is the best two. Remember, you got Rescue 2 in Brooklyn. Four and five will come over the bridges to some boxes in Brooklyn. And there's three emergency service trucks in Brooklyn. Truck 6, Truck 7, and Truck 8. And you're all trying to get there before all those respective companies. So tell me about the battles, just trying to beat them to jobs. Uh, I never really had a problem with the issue. Yeah. Except for one guy. <laughs> we'll leave him nameless. Yeah. No, no names. No, no names, but he was, you know, even like, you know, the guys, he was a sergeant um, yelling and screaming and stuff like that. And I just look at him as, all right, you know, meanwhile, my guy's already underneath the, you know, the train, you know, so what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, but before, I had, before you continue, there, there I don't mean, I don't mean to cut you off. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to, before you continue, I just, cause it popped into my head cause he was working in Brooklyn at the time. Did you cross paths with Jack Cambria at all? I don't know the name. Sergeant uh, Truck 60 later went out to the hostage negotiation team. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know the name. No. All right. No, sorry, my apologies. Go ahead. Great faces. But names, no. All right, no problem. I'll, I'll put them up on the screen momentarily. But as you were saying about the other guys, what were you saying? Um, yeah, I mean, it is what everybody wants to do something. Yeah. I mean, I my one of my chauffeurs in, in, in four uh, had I had a lot of problems with uh, ESU. Got arrested. <laughs> oh, boy. Really? Really? More than once. You know? My God. Um, you know, so there was a, there was some animosity there, there. I can understand. I think I can understand. <laughs> well, you uh, but know, you know. You know, you know how, you know how uh, ESU works, right? <laughs> two-man troughs, right? Yeah, for the most part. For the most part, right? The rescue comes. I've got six guys, right? So if we're in a trench, what are you going to do? Yeah. Well, you don't have the equipment. You don't have the manpower. you got guys coming up from all over the city. i got any trench job in Queens or the Bronx. i got a rescue. i got a squad. And i got another rescue coming in. Mm -hmm. That yeah, and 
Now that we have the all, all we have the Sox support trucks, now you have 18 guys, 20 guys who are trained up to a certain level. You know, plus we had all the equipment in one spot. We had the, uh, the support vehicles, the uh, the collapse rescue with more equipment. Yeah. It helps. I mean, I but I will yeah. say you only saw that in Manhattan because I was going to say I want to I want to I want to preface this. I have a ton of respect for the uh, emergency services, and as far as uh, special weapons and tactics uh, for the city, there there's nobody better. Yeah, I just basically right. tell that they they stretch it a little too thin with the other stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you know, I've seen where they they did stuff that in my book would be sketchy, such as high angle work. You know, we always work in the safety line. They don't. You know, um, they're dive team. They you know they're not tethered. Our guys are tethered. Yeah. You know? Right. It's apples and oranges. You know? Right. Teach the wrong. That's not my decision to make. Yeah. You know? And I always, I always found that I could. Yeah, I I could uh, you know attract more bees with honey than with vinegar. Yeah, so I just try to work with, with yeah, it, yeah, with the people. Yeah, it and, I, like and, that I, and I will say, you know, it, you saw this a lot in other boroughs. Really, the only borough you would see it in is Manhattan, where they would have problems during that era because rescue one and obviously truck one. But I think there were jobs guys were telling me in Brooklyn from like seven truck and eight truck, and you know, if uh, any of the other engine companies or squad two fifty two is there. You know, if it was like a pin job, you guys be passing each other tools, you know, back and forth just fine. Yeah. It, like I said, it, it starts at the top, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, like I said, it, 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 I had incidents in Queens with a, with an ESU cop uh, screaming, you know, threatening to rest my shoulder, bop, bop, bop. And, uh, but, you know, behind his back, these guys are going, you know, like, not again, you know. So sometimes it's just one person. Right. And on the other the other stroke of the coin, there's firemen that like that too. Yeah. Yeah. And their guys behind them are going, oh God, here we go. Yeah. yeah. So it's just uh yeah. Personalities of life things on the show. Yeah. Let me ask you from that era, this is a two-pronged question now that you bring it up. Oh, and this is Jack Henry. Let me show him before I ask the question. Maybe you might remember his face if you see him here. Uh gentleman Jack, as they call him, friend of mine. Uh let me just get a good this this guy you ever cross paths with him on a job because he was in truck six. Nah. Hmm. Nah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. 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 I was gonna say if you saw his face, maybe I remember. But who friend, knows? But yeah. Maybe. Been, yeah. Who knows? I've been out here for almost ten years. Yeah. Right. Uh, good man, Jack. He's been on the show previously. If you want to check out my, my uh, episode with him, that was a few months back for Volume 1, the first edition of Talk to Me Life on the NYPD's hostage negotiation team. But anyway, uh, just the two-pronged question is this. Can you recall from 98 to 2000 a particularly standout job in 252 that you, know, that you still remember well to this day? And also, what's the best job you can recall working hand-in-hand -hand with ESU, if anything? Let's see. I think the most interesting job we had when I was in uh, 252, and it was quite a few of them, was we had an arsonist going around in Bushwick, right? Uh, mm -hmm. This is in, I'm going to say like 2000. 
or maybe 99. And he was hitting all over the place. So this one particular night, um, we started off the night with a, uh, um, a warehouse fire. I had the roof and uh, it was in a, uh, so I did my job, didn't get wet. Went to, then we started uh, at a couple of other jobs. Going in, guys are working, I had the roof, I'm outside, I'm not getting wet. Uh, and then we're pulling off the job off of Bushwick Avenue. And this guy rides by in a bicycle. He says, fireman, there's, there's a fire down the road on Green Street. Sure enough, pull onto the street. It's blowing out the front door. It's a, it's a four-story tenement frame, which means it's a frame building, but it's got apartments on both sides, whereas a, you know, a row frame would only have apartments on one side. So it was laid out like a tenement. Uh, the arsonist had poured um, gasoline from the top floor on the stairway all the way down. Larry Tompkins is the, the nozzle man. And for some reason, my, my boss that day, I'm not going to, um, gave him the backup, which made no sense to me. Right. Uh, Larry doing a great job putting the fire out. Um, but he's wet from all these previous jobs and the fire, uh, the best way I can, it's like, if you start a barbecue with like the chunk charcoal, and it's that's what it was like on the floor. It was like another, it was just like a barbecue. Came up inside his inside his legs, burnt him really bad. Uh, so he has to leave. And, uh, normally in that position, the uh, the backup man would take him. The backup man decided he wasn't he was from he wasn't from here. He was from like Staten Island or something, and. Uh, he did the old toodaloo. So now I'm third man on the line. I got the line. You know, and uh, uh, I don't think the guy, the control man outside, heard that I was by myself. So a guy from Rescue 2, Joe Jordan, comes up and says, okay, I got somebody backing me up now. Yeah. So now all the fire on uh, the, the first and second floor is put out. It's time to go up, right? And the stairs are burnt to a crisp. And I'm looking at Joe, and he's looking at me. He says, are we going up paces? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so we ended up walking on the sides, getting up to the third floor. We put, we put most of that building out by ourselves. Yeah. So, uh, you know, nobody got killed. Yeah, it was uh, just that that was a good, like, engine fire. It wasn't a squad fire, it was an engine fire. Yeah. And uh, that, yeah, that's one of those things I remember. Yeah. I think we, we even got to get a citation for that one. Mm, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's always nice and, when they work out like that. Yeah. I mean, and I had, you know, I, we had, I had some run-ins with the ESU, not run-ins, you know, where like a, a trench drop or something like that. And we never had a problem. Yeah. If you, if you got enough work to keep you guys busy, then yeah. Yeah. But like I said, there were incidents I did, but personalities is everything. Exactly. There's a great story I have. You know, you know, you know, you know, being in, you know, special operations, you know, you don't always get along with the other companies that are there because they think you're trying to steal your line. You know, whatever. Right. The personality is everything. Yeah. I try, always try to be nice to everybody until it's not time to be nice. (laughs) Until they give you a valid reason not to be nice. Because I was going to say, you know, there's a great story that I got told and helping on the show next week. My buddy Paul Paracone, who's a truck one guy and, uh, and eventually went out to the bomb squad to finish his career out there. He's going up this like 1995, 96. He's going up the uh, stairs on a building tenement in Manhattan because it's a stuck elevator. And he's calling down a truck one. He's like, give me this, give me that, give me the other thing because the elevator's cocked sideways. So yeah. then he hears somebody behind him calling for the same exact equipment from the rescue one truck. He turns around and it's Paul Hassagan, and they both start laughing. They say, I guess we're working this one together. And while I think Paul's on the rope uh, working to get the elevator straightened up, Paul Hassagan's the one handing them the equipment. So, you know, as long yeah. as you got good personalities there, which both those yeah. guys are real cool, level headed guys. Well, if you're, running with, you know, if you're running with these guys all the time, right. you know each other. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, uh... There's a healthy respect there after a while. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just quickly, I know, you know, obviously it was tough for stock as a whole after uh, that day in 01. I mean, you guys lost six guys. And for the Langone family, speaking of, it was particularly tough. Right. Because obviously, Pete in, in uh, 252 and his brother Tom was an ESU cop in 10 truck in Queens. So they lost uh, both of those fine gentlemen that day. And you have to rebuild. You're in a position where you're a fire officer by this point. Now you're taking new guys in. Um, and with that said, there, then comes a film crew. This is early 03 right before Metcalf yeah. is leaving and you're still there. And as, and like Mike Thomas, I'll get to your question in a moment. I didn't forget about it. There's a battle to potentially relocate the company, but just first on the film crew alone. So soon after that day, uh, were you comfortable with it? What was it like having those guys around? Yeah, they, they didn't bother me. Um, but um, it always, it seems like they we, we never caught any work when they were around. <laughs> if they, like they would come and work like a twenty-four with us, and then go to rescue one, and then they go someplace else. It, it, it seems like you know, as soon as they left, boom, we go to work. Yeah, you know? but they were nice people. I mean, they really were, and uh, I thought they they did a good job um, conveying you know what was going on. Yeah, and like you said, like they were trying to close down uh, a bunch of firehouses at that time. And they thought it would be a good idea to put us in into a forty-four engine and uh, become a squad there. Um, yeah, but uh, we did a lot of work uh, 
with the community board and uh, the activists in the, in the community. They didn't want us to leave. Yeah, they uh, they wanted us to. Yeah, and uh, that 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 building, uh, two fifty two, was on the historical register. That's so a landmark. Yeah, it's a landmark. They can't tear it. Down. They can't tear it down. Ah. They can't even. They can't even change the facade of it. It has to stay that way. Mm. You know. Okay. All right. Yeah. And that makes sense. I mean, I remember during that time, there was a gentleman during one of those meetings mentioning that uh, in regards of relocating, because this is when the terrorism alert was like at a code orange. So it was particularly right. high around this time. Remember, this is like right after this is not even two years after that day that, you know, one of the gentlemen was saying, you know, you guys are talking about putting it closer to Manhattan. If there's another emergency on that day, 252 is, I think, one of the first companies to get down there. They were it didn't take them a long time to get into the city. No, no. No, no, it's a hop, skip, and a jump, so to, so to speak. Right. So it made sense yeah. to keep them around. Yeah. Yeah. Happened- well, you you wouldn't want to put all your eggs in one basket anyway. Right. If that's the case, you know, if if you're expecting another terrorist attack, why would you put everybody in in at ground zero? You would keep them out. You know, uh, at least that's the way I think. You know? Yeah. I'm no no great tactician, but. I wouldn't do that. That's rocket science, basically. Or it's not rocket science, I should say. You and, know, it's, you know, it's common I also, sense. I also, you know, in, in my heart, I think that they they picked a company that they knew they weren't going to get. So, like, when they said, okay, we're not going to close this company down, they, they can, people will look at them and say, oh, you guys did a great job keeping the company open. But they knew they were never going to close this down anyway. But they put us through hell. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. While they were filming you guys, and we haven't even got, we've been talking for almost an hour and a half. I even got, haven't even gone to Rescue 4 yet. I'm going to get to Rescue 4 after this. But while they were filming you guys, you caught this job. Somebody told me, Kevin Jackson on Facebook, I got to give him credit for this. He was saying, Mike, pull this clip if you can find it. And I did find it, Kevin. And thank you if you watched this episode, because here it is. You're working this one. Great, great job on this rescue. Somebody on the second floor, the fire floor. Hey guys, it's all loose again. 
They were saying there was people trapped. We heard that there was people trapped on the radio coming in, and uh, I think they got out okay. I think actually they got everybody out, but I don't know if everyone's alive. It's a classic brownstone fire. They did it like clockwork. 214 stretched the line, 111 laddered the building, got, uh, did a roof rope rescue, put portables in there. They do what they do all the time. We got everything? Do you remember if everyone survived in the end? Did you ever follow up on that? I believe they did. Awesome. What a great yeah. job you guys did there. That was a perfect job, as Tommy Burke said. Yeah. But, I mean, to give all credit, credit did, it was 111. They were up on the top floor. They're, they're the ones that basically got those people out of there. And the reason why we were going to the rear, it was a you know, brownstone, and there was no access to the rear. Uh, we went to the adjoining building was because uh, they were initiating a roof rope rescue in the rear. And, uh, you know, so we, we brought the ladder in and they managed to get get, get the uh, victim out of the ladder, if I, you know, if I remember correctly. Yeah, but there was like six, seven people, I think they pulled out of that, out of that place. Yeah, yeah. Hey, that was one of those jobs that they were there, you know? The film crew, that was like, oh, we got something. Right. <laughs> And they ended up being a pretty good job. They actually had a, a fire at a cookie shop too earlier uh, yeah. in that same documentary that they were able to get uh, also in that documentary, which is very good. I love it. And uh, Metcalf, I can't quote the line word for word because there's some words in there that can't make the air here. But the part where he was saying, you're not, you're on the payroll, but you ain't a brother. Like that yeah. part, man. He, it just so he happens, my, this... my, my, my nephew got out of the job in that class and he was in Eddie's, uh, that was his, that was his probing class. Yeah, yeah, so now that's coming up on 20 years. Wow, amazing. Yeah. You know, and all those guys, they're the ones training the newbies coming in now. Yeah, and now he's a fireman in squad 252. So <laughs> go figure, you know. 
Oh my God, it's true. That's true. And I guess we can get to rescue four now. And that's where, you know, that's where we'll finish out before we get to the rapid fire. Seven years there. And you got there. It's interesting when you got there. You'd already been in sock itself seven years. You're at 20 years. You could have went down to the pension section and put in your papers and called it a career after a very notable run. Uh, or no, actually, you know, but you didn't want to do that. You know, and you not only did you and some guys, if they stay on, they pick a quieter place. Not only did you not pick a quieter place, you stayed in sock. You went to a rescue. Like I said, it's I like to stay busy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, yeah, it was when I got the when I got the call to go there, that was like that was it. I'm I'm done. Yeah, I thought about, you know, studying for captain and stuff like that, but that meant that would mean if you get promoted, you go bouncing again, you're all over the place. And does, you know, do I really want to do that? I said you know, because when I was a fireman I had interviewed uh, with the captain of four, and uh, I, I wasn't able to go there. There was no openings, you know. So it was, uh, I think Mikey Milner would tell you, you know. And I had been de- detailed there quite a bit. And, uh, you know, so going there was, uh, that was it. What a great spot. You know, I knew all the guys there. They they accepted me into the fold right away. And, you know, and as usual, in my first night, in all new firehouses, we caught a third along. Yeah, so it was, it was, it was really good. Yeah, yeah. I, I loved the, I loved working there. Great group of guys. Yeah, but you know that almost got cut short too. Yeah, just after you know, because when at the time, you would go there what they called the onion skin, which is temporary order. Okay. Yeah, and uh, I then I got on the order. Yeah, so I was assigned there. And then uh, we went from medicals, and uh, they uh, caught me with diabetes. Yeah. Uh, it, so they immediately put me on light duty, and now I had to go and go through this whole. It was almost eight eight months of uh, you know going to see the right doctor, getting the right treatment, which for me was going on insulin and an insulin pump, and. Uh, and then uh, they had me doing my duty at the uh, rock. And so I took advantage of that. And I went to the gym every day. I was down to 185 pounds. I had a four pack. And, uh, you know, uh, then I had to go through some legal uh, things with, uh, thank God for the uh, American Diabetes Association. They got me the help I needed as far as legal uh, work. And we had to sue the department for me to go back to go back full duty. Wow. Yeah. And uh, I, I know there was another uh, officer on the job who pretty much went through the same thing. But before that, they would just put you out, out the pasture. Okay, you're done. And which is what they want to do with me. Just keep me on light duty until until I yeah, until I decide to go. Well, if you know me, I'm not I'm not going out without a fight. So we fought it. Uh, Dr. Kelly at the medical office was really good. She uh, supported me, and I got I got back full duty, and uh, I stayed like that until you know until I got out. Yeah, but uh, it, it, the problem is is they 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 want they don't want to deal with it, meaning the fire department. So it's easy for them to put put you on light duty until you get so tired of light duty that you you, you retire or leave. Yeah. And uh, so a lot of guys hide it. 
And, uh, you know, I get, to this day, I still get phone calls from guys who have just found out they're diabetic. They don't want the fire department to know. And, uh, you know, I try to put them on the right direction. You know, you got to take care of your health first. But at the same time, you know, don't give them any more information than they need to know. You know? Right. Because yeah. unfortunately, in, in, with today, too much transparency telling the truth can unfortunately, in that regard, hurt you. Not that you're saying it's good to lie. Tell them, right. yeah, because you got to look after your own health, but tell them only the essentials. Well, well, yeah, it's, I've always learned it. If a person in authority, i.e. police officer or chief of department asks you a question, they already know the answer. Yeah, usually. Lawyers, yeah. same thing. Yeah, uh, they already know the answer. So, um, yeah, so that would that being done, I went back full duty, and, you know, I finished out my career in Rescue 4. Yeah, yeah, and that was uh, a great time for me. Great, great finding that I worked with there. Le you know, some legends, I think. You know, and uh, uh, great. And they took care of me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? Anytime the chief would say, hey, nice job, Rescue for I said, well, thank those guys because, you know, they're the ones that did it. You know, yeah. And managed to, you know, get, you know, we were involved in a couple of really, you know, for me, you know, historic fires, you know, uh, when I was there. Yeah. If you want to tell me about them, that's, that'd be good. Well, I think the, the the first one that comes to mind is we had a fire. Uh, we were coming back from another job, and we we're on uh, Queens Boulevard, and we get a call for Gorsland Street, which is more over towards where 288 is. And uh, so, uh, ladder 126 acting to uh, 136 and 287. Our first do it at this uh, fire, and uh, it was in a one-story uh, in the front um, garden apartment, I guess you call it. Mm -hmm. And then, but it was two stories in the back. And uh, it turns out this who whoever saw this fire, they they didn't do it on purpose. They were burning or they were taking out a, a boiler in the basement, and they there was a fireplace in the basement. And uh, they were they lit up these oily reds in the fireplace when we got out of the fireplace and uh, got into the ceiling of the basement. And by the time we got there, there was no second new truck there. The uh, uh, place was rolling. It, was like, it sounded like a freight train. Heavy black smoke coming out the front door, just chugging. And that was from the time I got off the rig at the corner and walked, you know, 150 uh, feet, light, light smoke to Rome, like a freight train. So um, the, the, the thermal imaging kind of couldn't see, couldn't see anything. Yeah, I was holding it up to my face like this, couldn't see nothing. That's how thick the smoke was. Um, my eyes man was inside. Uh, it had burnt through the uh, door already. Uh, a couple of guys from uh, 126 are in the basement. Um, one gets out, and then the stairs burnt out of way. The officer went to the rear of the building, found refuge there. Um, my audience man took a door off an adjoining room, put 
pushed over the opening and then uh, the engine gets burnt. They're making their way out. So they push me out of the doorway. I look into a side window. I see a hand hanging out the window and uh, turns out it was the boss from uh, 287. He got turned around. Um, is, uh, we managed to get him out and his hands were completely burnt. Just really bad, you know. And then uh, that fire was, that was one of those one, one fires where uh, it had not been for the guys doing what they did, meaning the roof man was on the roof, cut a hole right over the over the, where the stairs were to the basement. So now all the smoke lifts up. Uh, we ended up going in. The stairs are burnt out. We ended up going in through the back door with another engine. Uh, found the lieutenant uh, there and put the fire out. Yeah, and. Uh, uh, the lieutenant from you know 287, he, you know, he survived. Never went back to work, but he survived. You know, you know, that was a good thing. That was one of those times where um, they had uh, the chief wanted to write me up, and uh, I got the phone call from uh, the lieutenant uh, thanking me, and that was better than uh, getting a medal, as far as I was concerned. You know, I'll say knowing that you did your job. You know, you got the guy out. You know, every, everybody went home after that one. That's a good fire, and everybody goes home. Yeah. Absolutely. I have a question here from Angela Ang, retired 13th Precinct cop. Actually, that's where one truck is, 13th Precinct. And she wants to know, when the cars are parked one lane out because of the bike lane, is the spot adjacent to the hydrant still considered blocking the hydrant? It's mm. a good one. That is a good one. The question is, do I have access to the hydrant? Ah, okay. As long as you do, then it's not a blockage. Yeah, I mean, I would. I think any engine chauffeur would prefer that you don't park right opposite the hydrant. Yeah, but if he, as long as he's got access, I mean, you may have a supply line draped across your car. Or through your window. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, yeah. I mean, I've done that, you know. Yeah. But and the, and the public you know, never gets mad at you guys for doing that, too. It's, I mean, the car owner does, but you know what? It's his fault. Or well, fault. I mean, you know, what are you going to do? Right. The important thing is you got to get water. Exactly. You know? so how you get water? I mean, it, look, I understand living in the city, and I know parking sucks, mm -hmm. you know, but, you know, what are you going to do? You, you got to get water. You're always thinking, well, they're never going to get a, get a fire when I'm parked on this hydrant. Next thing you know, you come out and you got a three and a half inch line poking through your windows. Swing and a miss, he struck him out. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, you know, thank God you got. Hopefully, you got insurance. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. That's quite the that's quite the explanation to the insurance company. So, how did your windows break, sir? The fire department. The fire department. Blame it on them. Contact them. <laughs> I'm sure they're yeah. up to it. Oh, God. Allegedly. Um, the last thing I'll ask you about before the rapid fire, that last year before you called it today in, in 2012, I mean, you went out with a lot of work because there was Irene in 11, but Sandy was the big one. And Queens, of all the five boroughs, Queens got hit the hardest. 
Were you right. working the night that the hurricane touched down? No, no, okay. I wasn't. No, uh, I was working for the tornado that tore through uh, parts of Queens and Brooklyn. I don't know okay. if you remember that. When was this? <coughs> it was 2010, I think. Mm. Yeah, pretty sure. 2010, 2009, we had a tornado that, that came through parts of the city. And it was, oh, it was crazy. We were, on a, we were going to a bariatric lift on Woodhaven Boulevard. We were going down to Ozone Park. It was a, a yeah. And we we ended up, my shuffle was, uh, was Billy Murphy. He's the captain of the rescue tree now. We had to pull over to, to the side of the road because they were in the eye of the storm. This, this tornado came through and uh, we had to pull over. Because you couldn't see anything, you know. Trees are flying all over the place. We get down. We finally, it eases up. We get down to the, where the bariatric lift was. Guy was like eight, 900 pounds. We had to set up a tripod around him, get a uh, cargo uh, net underneath him, and then load him onto a special uh, um, gurney. I the, the only one guy could get into the elevator with him. And get them out now. Right, this tornado already passed through Queens. It, we couldn't couldn't get dispatch on the radio. Couldn't get dispatch on the phone. Every you know the uh, uh, the uh, NDT is down. What do we do? You know, took us like two hours to get back to the firehouse. Back into the fly house, closed the doors and said, they'll call us if they need, they need us. You know, and, you know, later on, they, you know, we went to a couple of, you know, uh, you know uh, minor collapses, you know, mm. afterwards. But they, we had no way of getting through the dispatch. So we just listened to the radio. It, it sounded like something. We could, but you could, you could, uh, there's uh, cars on every major street. There's trees down all over the place. There's electrical lines down. Um, yeah, it was it was pandemonium. Yeah, they spent days cleaning up after that mess, which I you know, yeah, it wasn't a hurricane, but it was a tornado. Yeah, there would if you look if you look it up on on, on YouTube, and just type in uh, tornado videos in Queens. There was a guy in one of those high rises out in uh, Eastern Queens. Who, uh, who videotaped it. And, uh, you, you know, from a distance, you can see it better. You know? I'll have to find it. And I guarantee yeah. that guy that you had to lift, he didn't live on the first floor. <laughs> no. They no. never live on the first floor. Never. No, no, no. no. Why well, would if he? They do, if they do, the doorway's not big enough to get the guy out. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, God, there's, and there's a clip, too, and I, I see your question, Eugene. I'm going to get to that one momentarily. It's like May of 01. Uh, Rescue 2, and the driver in that clip is, uh, I think it's, it's Danny Libretti. It's either Danny Libretti or Billy Lake. Uh, poor guy. You know, those guys, neither of those guys made it out on 9-11. But it's a, it's a lift on a 600-pound man. And I feel bad because, the, I mean, the, the wife's in there. She's saying, yeah, this happened last year. His grandson's eating ice cream. And I don't mean to laugh, but the narrator was making it hilarious because as they were feeling right. about, he says in the dead serious voice, and the gurneys collapsed. <laughs> and then later on, despite their best efforts, the patient was pronounced dead. And I'm sitting here. Yeah. 
not because I'm happy the guy died, but I'm like, he just has to narrate it that way. We had, but, like, I mean, we had a guy up on a, during like a really bad snowstorm. <laughs> a really bad, of course. Of course, exactly. Why not? A really bad snowstorm, get a call, guys up on the third floor. Just like a referee, three, right? Third floor, we have to get him down. Same thing, cargo net, right? Guy had to go up through through ladder, put a couple of uh, four by fours across an opening for an anchor, and then you know get get the guy lifted up, and then going down the stairway, and like somebody's got to be with him to walk him down the stairway the whole time. Um, got him into the ambulance, and then. The ambulance, for some reason, they were able to get out of that street. We weren't. We had to, you know, we, even with chains on, we couldn't get off the street. So we had to, um, we had to use the winch, hook it up to a telephone pole, pull ourselves 20 feet, okay? And then unhook the, the winch, put on something else. So we finally got to the intersection, which was plowed, and, and get off the street. It was just a it, you know, comedy of errors, yeah, you know, for that. Fun times, yeah. <laughs> uh, fun times, and uh, the question for Eugene, thanks, Eugene, for tuning in. Hello to you too. Is did you ever cross paths with Kevin O'Rourke? Kevin O'Rourke, excuse me, who was in Rescue Two? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what a nice was, man. Uh, yeah, it's just a really always had a smile on his face. Mm -hmm. Just yeah, and never had a bad word to say. No. I don't, even, I don't even think I, heard, I ever heard Kevin curse. No. The last man out, in the last man out, they said it was funny. The worst thing that the guys had rescued to, and for those of you who don't know, Kevin, unfortunately, is another one who got killed on 9-11. The worst thing the guys had rescued to ever heard him say, he called somebody a poopy head. <laughs> that was it. That was the worst he would go. Right. Yeah, because, you know, we'd, get, we'd be at a lot of the same jobs. Mm -hmm. You right. see it. Always just smile. Just doing his job. Yeah. And yeah, it, some people are just like that. Yeah, I mean, I remember the captain of rescue uh, to uh, Phil Ruvalo. Yeah, Phil Ruvalo. We'd be crawling down the same hallway. He'd look at me, and, and, and like, "Are we having fun yet?" Yeah, that's what he'd say. To you. Are we having fun yet? Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, after nine eleven, he never said that to me anymore. Yeah. yeah. But, and I understand it, you know, and I think he says, well, that documentary is still riding. The job will be fun again at the time. He was still working, of course, but uh, it'll never be as much, at least not for me. Those were his exact words. Right. And I don't blame him. I don't. I blame think him. that was the same for a lot of us, too. You know, yeah. that really uh, uh, dealing with that, you know, we lost all six guys uh, on 9-11, dealing with the families. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and me, I stayed down at the site until... Well, we were way past that when they um, when they closed down the site because they had forgotten to do a thorough search of the Deutsche Bank building. So I got asked to go down there with Captain Rasmiller again and Richie Sweeney and Mike Banker, and uh, we did a, like a month-long blitz with that building. Yeah, I almost I almost had a break from reality. I just like I wanted it to be over, you know. Right. And, uh, uh, you know, Richie Sweeney would tell you that, that, yeah, I, I, I ran through a couple of walls at, at, yeah, after doing that. Um, you know, the other thing is, 
that what about all the civilians? Right. All those people, all those people that do down at the site serving us dinner, you know, uh, uh, the logistics, all that other crap. People forget that there's, there's civilians, that, volunteers out there that are dying, but they don't get the recognition that the firemen and cops do. You know? I mean, I know one of the girls, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, Susie, uh, Susan, who uh, she lost her husband. Yeah, from it. They were both volunteers down at the site. Mm. Yeah, and nobody really talks about them. And they made our lives so much easier down there. You know, you'd work, you'd work a shift down at the pile, and then you'd go back there to you know cafeteria tent. You'd go there, you know, you'd have something to eat. It was always hot food. You know, somebody nice. You know, somebody just. Say a kind word to you know, you know because uh, it was really, you know, it drained on me. Yeah, it really did. Yeah, so just I'm just putting it out there. Yeah. No, you should. So, and it reminds it's a, it's a good thing. It reminds me, uh, not to cut you off, I apologize, of a column that my friend Amanda Farinacci wrote. She used to be a reporter from New York One. She was down there a right. long time. She's now the fire department's press secretary. Right. And she had she just got breast cancer. She beat it. She thankfully went underwent treatment. She's cancer free. But she was saying it doesn't matter what capacity you were down there in, in her case, covering it as a reporter, get yourself checked. Right. Right. A lot of people don't know that it's out there, that, that you know, the help is available for them. Yep. They say, how are we going to, you know, how are we going to, and I'm not the right person to bring that to the forefront. This, you know, but it's, yeah, it, I personally feel that, you know, yeah, it's great that the, the public thinks about us and we're getting the care that we need. And, and the, you know, thanks to the guys, activists, you know, uh, Ray Pfeiffer and, uh, uh, you know, uh, John Stewart, all those guys went to, went to bat for us when nobody else was, you know. But, you know, it's also you got you got the civilians that were involved down there and now they're starting to get sick. And I think that's, you know, that's something that, you know, that should be brought up about that, you know, that, you know, that, that, for me, I was very thankful for them, you know, down there. They made my life a lot easier. Yeah. And like I said, I spent a lot of days down there. Yeah. Thanks for putting that out there. This I'm so glad we got the chance to do the redo. This has been awesome. And Joe Malika yeah. says, yeah, this volume 28 would be any attempted volume 28, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> and he's right. Thankfully, we were able to get the tech straight. I'm sorry, I didn't get a haircut today, though. Nah, it doesn't matter. Neither did I. Who cares? Anyway, let's end with the rapid fire. It's five hit and run questions from me, five hit and run questions, five hit and run answers, I should say, from you. You can say pass if you want. You ready? All right, here we go. First, when you look back on your career, what are you proudest of? Proudest moment. Saving that five. There you go. All right. And uh, that's why I say you could say pass. Second is funniest call you ever responded to. Funniest call you ever responded to. Uh, pass. Uh, that makes sense. That's fair. Third, I guess, well, besides rescuing the firemen, most uplifting job you ever responded to besides that one? Uh, I'd have to say... Uh, and it was it was a fatal fire, but uh, we had a fire on Walton Avenue in the Bronx, and um, watching my guys doing what they do best. I mean, 
to the point of exhaustion. Yeah, I was never uh, proud of to be uh, an officer in rescue for after that fire, even though it was a fatal fire. You know, um, yeah. I still get tears in my eyes when I think about it. It's great. Yeah. Giants among men. Mm -hmm. Ordinary Heroes, the show Pfeiffer, titled his appropriate memoir. Uh, fourth, favorite bar or restaurant in New York City? Restaurant? I'm going to go with Italy. In uh, Lower Manhattan. Actually, my friend Tommy turned, turned me on to it. And when I was out in Vegas, I we had dinner there. Uh, another one, which is just as good, is because uh, the woman who owns it is, you know, she's a famous chef. And so it's an Italian uh, emporium. You want to, if you want to just have cold cuts, you have cold cuts. You want to have a steak, you have a steak. You can go there with five people. Everybody goes in, the, in different directions and end up in the same table and, you know, have something different, but you're having a great meal. So, yeah, that place right there. Yeah, and uh, the Farry's pizza. I'm sure Bobby Galliano can tell you about that. It's still oh. the best pizza I've ever tasted in my life. I got to go. I got to go with Bobby, preferably. Fifth and finally, knowing what you know now, if you can go back in time, give advice to a younger version of yourself, what would you tell young Bob Chisano? Um, I wouldn't tell him to do anything different. <laughs> really Makes would. sense, right? You turned out yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. Magic carpet ride. I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change it. Like I said, I would do it all over again if I could. Exactly the same way. Yeah. Met some, worked with some wonderful people, met some wonderful people. I wouldn't change it. Not for the world. You're the first guy that said that on this show. Usually you have somebody that says, oh, I wish I could have said this, or I think I tell my younger self that. You're the first guy that gave that answer. Right. Yeah. Right. Thank this, this has been this has been fantastic. Stick around. We'll say goodbye off the air. I'm glad. Like I said, I'm really glad that we got the technology straightened out and yeah, we were able too. to do our do our part two because it just turned out. It's fantastic. now I gotta go buy a new computer. <laughs> well, that's the one drawback. But at least listen. At least we have the tablet. If anything, <laughs> well, at least I know it's ten years old. It's fine. All right. You know, it had a good run. You know, it had a good run. Any shout outs you want to give before I say goodbye to the audience? Uh, it's just it's my anniversary tomorrow. Oh, happy anniversary. Okay, happy anniversary to my wife and, uh, yeah, and my sons, love them both, and my nephews on the job and, you know, all, the, all my family. Yeah. It's been a good ride. I would say. Uh, shout out to everybody that tuned in tonight. Thanks for being here. Coming up next on the Mike Daniel Even podcast. He's in the chat and he'll be on the show this Friday. It's another volume of the best of the bravest interviews with the FDNY's elite volume 29. Another guy that was in sock in terms of being in the squad first. Then he went to a rescue, if I'm not mistaken. That's Garrett Lindgren. And we're going to get Garrett on the show for a while. So it'll be good to speak with him. Of course, good it's Friday. Friday. Yeah, so Garrett, Garrett, good man. And, of course, uh, to everybody that's in Florida, if you're tuning in from Florida tonight, please be safe with Hurricane Ian. Our best wishes to you. And on behalf of retired FDNY Lieutenant Bob Trisano, I am Mike Cologne. This has been another edition of the Best of Bravest, interviews with the FDNY's elite. And we will see you next time. Have a great rest of the night, everybody. I'll see you Friday. Take care.